Happy Halloween, everyone. This is Illiterate. This week we are covering Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. I just checked out the new Netflix series. I'm hanging out with my buddy Taylor. Hello, I looked into the history of horror through the centuries. It's a horror anthology series, and if you're new to the show, we have covered a lot of different horror things, including Del Toro or earlier this year. Um, But we have a lot of things that are going to be referenced in this episode because we've already branched off and done deep dives into some of these things. So we mm-hmm. have a plethora of, of episodes for you to go back and listen to. But today we're going to kind of get to the spine of some of these things and chase down what in the world is a cabinet of curiosities. <laughs> uh, Del Toro's back at it again. Hit show on Netflix. It's in the top 10. I love horror with like a strong moral, uh, my community, really like really <laughs> yeah, central yeah. themes. Um, really strong characters so you know i'm i'm just kind of happy with my popcorn this is perfect for halloween weekend uh it's illiterate everybody oh god (laughs) yeah horror uh to the max and like you said cabinet of curiosities is the title we'll just jump in right there what is that yeah uh it's like uh he walks out in the in the opening of all of the episodes and like has one I a literal is cabinet is, yes <laughs> like this very intricate like mahogany almost kaleidoscoping russian doll type yeah. cabinet and so i'm assuming immediately that uh this is uh, a, a textured <laughs> cultural thing that i almost almost know nothing about um, yeah. so i can't wait to find out what in the world this really is and how scary i <laughs> how scared i ought to be of it so if you have been to a modern museum which I hope you have. I certainly have. Uh, go. The, <laughs> yeah. Just get, well, stop. The, the, take us with you, actually, yeah. and go. <laughs> Listen. The, to uh, the Cabinet of Curiosities is the early ancestor of that concept, which- mm, uh, I and, see. And like a curio cabinet. Like, come and right. look at my artifacts. I'll tell you yeah. the stories behind <laughs> them in my home, my personal effects. Yeah. And so it was essentially- like, yes. In a more vain sense for rich people to impress their friends because the peasant of the 1600s could not have this in their home. But if you had several rooms in your home and servants and butlers and whoever to curate these and things, the you could. Yeah. <laughs> and merch. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you're some noble lord, you could have this. What I found interesting is that concept of the physical piece of furniture is even a lesser version of it. So a cabinet in the grandest mm. sense was a whole room, not a piece of furniture. It was Ooh. a term referring to an adjacent room of the main room that would be a study, which is the the person in the smoking jacket, the very presentational yes. element of a, of a study or a cloistered smaller space away from the action of the rest of the house. And then that other terminology could be a closet even though we think of a closet as a place to keep clothes, but it was a place to retreat, the cabinet. Oh, yes. Which then, if you think about it in terms of other linguistic areas, we think of a cabinet in the governmental sense. Oh, the, the president or the prime minister's the administration. cabinet. <laughs> but that is like their closed private council. So you'd go to the right. cabinet and that would be where your closest friends were to confide in Behind private closed doors. matters. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually it would be just the single thing with drawers and shelves if you were of the poor or rich and didn't have Mm -hmm. a whole room to devote to a taxidermied alligator on your ceiling or whatever it might be. You don't Uh, have an action figure room, Taylor? 
<laughs> I think I have a drawer. Yeah, I have I have one drawer devoted to old old stuff. But yeah, yeah. I guess if you did have your your glass cased, uh, I'm immediately connecting thing. with it because I love just displaying all my little knickknacks, and I want to tell you the things like well, how much I love them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what it was. 1600s to 1800s, the prime Renaissance Europe time, which is also not coincidentally the development into modern science and so mm. there's this is where the speculative the horrors stuff of the unknown <laughs> right it's got dragon's blood or mythical animal skeletons nobody's splitting god's <laughs> atoms <laughs> vetting this stuff it's designed to say well somebody gave this to me when they were on a trip to the great far north and found this two-headed snake and mm-hmm. who knows it's a snow snake and nonsense or lineage stories mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we found this on a great hunt yeah yeah and so that's where this you can impress rabbit. your friends yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so some of it was jackalope. though jackalope exactly yeah <laughs> we have the uh the artificialia which is the non-nature stuff it's antiques it's human art it's crude uh, yes. tools and things based on past human stuff and then the naturalia is the monsters and creatures and the those pasted together <laughs> mer people skeletons and such. Or you and walk then, into the natural yeah. history museum and it has all the birds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or you pull out a drawer and there's a bunch of taxidermied hummingbirds and that the beetles. Yeah. Here are the different types of beetles framed on in a shadow box <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and then scientifica is the science instrument. So so this is the way that you could measure crazy science apparatus. You know, I, that reminds yeah. me, I was watching Sleepy Hollow was on TV, the great Tim Burton film. Um, mm-hmm. And because of this time period, they have Ichabod Crane with all these like elaborate, like string powered, triggered, <laughs> like Benjamin Franklin style yeah. <laughs> lenses. Like they're absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, it's, it, it's funny you're now adding some uh, verbiage to it almost. Yeah. So I can, I was like, what do you even call these like spectacles? These, uh. <laughs> Scientifica would be what it is. Yeah. The one that people in America may know, which is on the later end of it, 1860s, and mm. he really turned it into, I think, more of a campy, self-referential thing is P.T. Barnum opening this oh, sort yeah. of stuff up. It's for the gullible masses. Hey, check out all this weird stuff across. And by that point, it's on the dying end. Mm-hmm. And so people are less amazed the, by yeah. this as the world <laughs> opens up. And as the Enlightenment progressed, this Which is where we fits right get, into yeah. Nightmare yeah. Alley, actually. There you go. Kind of, so, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it's it's right around the time also as science is becoming more lucrative and the curiosity isn't just, well, that's weird. No, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. The anomalies, people are like, well, this is misleading. We want the rule, not the exception. We want right. to learn about snakes, not the one two-headed snake. That right. is the, one you'll, the only one that will ever <laughs> exist. Right, right. So that's uh, – and then also with that, you feel this inflection point. I looked at most of the big public museums we know about, the London British, the Louvre, the Charleston, which was the first one that opened in the USA. They also open in the late 1700s. So uh, it's this merging. Uh, Evan, you'll like this and anybody that's on the West Coast and wants an oddity – the Atlas Obscura of places. Mm. The Museum of Jurassic Technology is mm. five minutes away from my house no. in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's really? in Culver City. Yeah, 
It's this a journey. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I had seen it described as a, ma- a museum about museums. Most people oh that gosh. come in, they're like, what is this place? It's very much a witty, self-conscious homage to this sort of private cabinet of curiosity museums. <laughs> There's no Jurassic Let's technology. It, yeah. Please. <laughs> it begs go. you to ask, what is all this junk? What does this mean? But it's it's a it's a literate live from yeah. the <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll post a link to that or uh, you know something about it if if you want to check it out in the show notes. But these sorts of things still exist in a satirical, uh, fun, fun joking kind of way. Well, it's uh, instantly like yeah. I'm seeing that, you know the trajectory here of you know. Like, a room, a cabinet, mm-hmm. you know, and then culturally where, where we want to put things that are special to the story of our yeah. culture becomes a museum, a whole building, you know, like, okay, this <laughs> and, is all yeah, kind yeah, of making yeah. sense. And it's not, exactly. so dis- it's not so disconnected from all my action figures on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Because you bring up a good point too about the story. And this is why Guillermo is using it as exactly. a framing devices because, hey, this skull, this thing, this action figure, it means something in relation to this narrative. And so brings us right into horror and the origins of horror. The two big ways that it could have been used before any sort of literary competency would be folklore and religious tradition as storytelling. Mm -hmm, And these mm -hmm. things are like a haunting is tied to an improper burial. So there's a respect for the dead allegorically and literally, but it's more to conform or to instruct and not to thrill or entertain. There's right. there's strong moral and maybe even health <laughs> reasons or to scare <laughs> your kids to not do certain things. What happens, and, and this is in a, or about the same time as these cabinets are are lessening, reading and literacy is, is ramping up in the early 1800s in Europe. Hmm. So from the beginning to the end, went from 90% illiterate to 3% illiterate in England wow. within a hundred years. And wow. uh, the, the stuff that we've already talked about in this realm is the gothic fiction, the start of horror, the haunting of Bly Manor we covered yeah. ages ago. Yeah, The thing that is most similar to this anthological horror, shorter pieces, two different things for two different audiences. One was the Penny Dreadfuls, which yes yes uh, yes aimed at young working class men and i loved this description to share with your friends it was the victorian equivalent of video games <laughs> because they just really targeted over a hundred publishers more than a million sold a week working class men <laughs> to and from just... their job and they're sharing them and they're talking about them and the the penny side of it for some context because dickens yeah. is in this time the Penny Dreadfuls sold for a penny, of course. Dickens was serializing his novels, and his, though, were a shilling, so 12 pennies for a, okay. for a section. So you think, well, I'm saving 11 pennies reading this schlock as opposed right. to reading some Dickens. Uh, <laughs> people get mad. Why aren't you reading any literary stuff nowadays? And it's like, well, because well, it's- 12 of these. Yeah, or I can play <laughs> video games. or <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for the for the price. So- but I, I like there's also in this time really thin plagiarisms. Oliver Twist 
Not I mean, for a penny twist, was a, yeah, <laughs> it was a common uh, plagiarized. They were even taking Dickens and warping it around. The original Asylum Studios. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The ones that came from this that predate a lot of the stuff we know. Sweeney Todd was a Penny Dreadful original and mm. Wagner the Werewolf was 1846, so really? popularizing werewolf. And then yes. Varney the Vampire was in it, and so this precedes Dracula by 52 years. No. Wow. And a lot of the tropes of of vampire stuff and the sharp teeth, the canines. Two years. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's the young men's side, and that's uh, maybe horror stuff more exciting, but still burned yeah <laughs> they did not want kids and young men to be reading this which is why they're huge collector's items now because who was going to keep them it's it's garbage paper and garbage <laughs> stories so to speak the other side of things i mentioned another audience that horror would be catering to in this in this time is what was called the sensation novels and this is for mm. the female readers mm. and not not true horror perhaps as we think of it now but what you like is the allegorical, moral underpinnings, really strong message mm-hmm. around the subject matter. And this is the same time, 1860s, 70s. And the big thing that's happening is a loss of identity because a lot more record keeping is taking place, industrialization and literacy, and especially women in this time as well. I see. Uh, it reminded me a lot, even though it's not as direct, it's like I said, it's more abstract but the slasher stuff that we talked about a couple yes. of weeks ago, because it is taking the shocking subject matter of the gothic stories, but instead of setting it in a castle, it is adultery, kidnapping, insanity, murder in yeah. middle-class life in the yeah. Victorian era. Trying uh, to actualize it <laughs> for yeah. its audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's saying, hey, this stuff happens here now, yeah. not in a castle in the middle. It's not out there somewhere. It's closer than you think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, just keep doing that. (laughs) Eventually we keep, we keep pushing our metaphors to to put them out there. Eventually we've got to pull them back in. And that's what revitalizes the, the old, the old cliche. Sometimes eventually that becomes the outer evil. No, no, no. It's the inner, it's closer. It's a lot closer than you think. Yeah. And like you said, with the metaphor stuff being close or, or, I find like horror, it has to be a metaphor for it to mean anything. It's it always the fear is a larger fear or a bigger question. If it's just the monster going after somebody and they survive, right. but evil still lurks. It's like, no, the, the most cogent ones have to do with larger fears of a society or larger fears as a human fear of darkness, mm-hmm. yes. fear of, Which- yeah is why I loved Halloween Ends. For anybody who wants to know my <laughs> thoughts on Halloween Ends, go to my letterbox. Um, if following up from last week, I loved it, and I have yeah. a whole spiel about it. People have been, oh, I, I almost pitched, like, should we just do a follow-up episode? But no, no, just talk to me somewhere else about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 that's exactly the point here, and that's what, that's what I was seeing in Halloween Ends, and that's what I was really seeing in all this Del Toro stuff, all three mm-hmm. episodes immediately. Very strong, trying to make a point um, trying to say something, trying to connect and pull you in to where you're not saying, oh, that's somebody I don't know. That's somebody not like me. No, no, no. There's somebody, you know, that person or they're a little bit like you uh, and mm-hmm. watch out for this right turn. Watch out for yeah. that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, it's doing a very good job uh, of being on, I think, um, in terms of not being condescending 
and not putting the message too far out there where it's too far for the audience to grasp. I like it's a it's you know like the very first episode is a character that you don't necessarily like him right off the bat, you know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of pulling on you know pretty relevant political themes right off in the first couple lines. But at the same time, he's a full character. That's the work of an amazing actor as well. But he's a Mm -hmm. full character and he is human. And I relate to parts of what he is, what what, emotionally, what he's frustrated about. Uh, And that's what pulls you in. And that's what pulls you in through all these. They're taking some characters that you don't maybe. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh, oh, it's funny. He's that, (laughs) but he's actually this. There's a turn there. But can I trust him? That's interesting and it's intriguing. These are, I'm really seeing very quickly, they're introducing full Mm -hmm. developed characters and that have Mm -hmm. a full place in the narrative to say something. This whole, this harbor is for a point and for a reason. Yeah. And that's also reflected on the opposite side towards the audience. So what I mean by that is they did some studies and there's this big five personality test, which is pretty unchanging. It can fluctuate a little bit, but if you're really low or really high on these different factors, it's unlikely that you will completely switch unless you have some mm. traumatic or amazing life experience, but usually traumatic. But one of them is openness and specifically openness to experience. So people who like horror films are statistically more likely to score highly for a preponderance to be open to experience. Like, which is jump out of a plane, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Or go to a random convention, like we said. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So trying new things. And oh no, am I open? I always thought I I don't. (laughs) Didn't I? Didn't last week I just tell people to go to any convention? Yeah. Well, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is so there's a there's a a connection between oh I you know because it doesn't make logical sense right scientifically why you would want to be scared or induce right. a negative <laughs> why, experience. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Like I'm drugging myself and yeah. dosing myself. <laughs> but next episode. Ha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're higher up on the scale, you're more likely to find something in that because of your personality wings. Mm. And and with that is also imagination, intellect, if you're if you're more likely to be hmm. open, so so it, it goes both ways. Where it's the content reflects that, and then the audience also is is drawn to those sorts of things. Mm. Um, which which leads us to a subtopic that we hadn't really talked about in any of our other horror stuff, which is the connection metaphorically between horror and the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. experience and influences related to horror. Um, but this extends. The reason I, I bring it up is because as we're in this time frame, early, early horror, Europe, 1800s, it's hard to categorize because people didn't write about this mm. openly. But yeah. there's a lot of consensus around Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, being a closeted gay man. Mm. Like I said, much literary speculation around this. And then the whole metaphor and symbolism and, and presentation of Dracula. Right. That makes uh, sense. C- connotes that. Yeah. And him being a close friend of Oscar Wilde, who was sentenced to hard labor for s- a sodomy conviction. He was a good friend of Bram Stoker. He wrote, he started writing this a right. couple months after that happened. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's centrally, we, we, the LGBTQ, you know, plight in horror 
it can speak to the two major forms of horror is the inner horror, the external mm-hmm. horror. And so if you are in the point where you are in total harmony with your sexuality, but it is society who doesn't accept you, that's an external. Mm-hmm. If you are having a battle with it, if you are not totally up to speed with it, but you feel like your parents would accept, that's an internal. Mm-hmm. And instantly you can see two very different movies that can spawn right off of that. And then just hundreds of variations. I mean, that's really yeah. at the core of of basically any of it. Uh, if anybody wants a crazy recommendation of one of the best LGBTQ horror movies of all times, uh, the second fr- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, mm-hmm. film is, is legendary for being one of the most almost overt uh, LGBTQ horror films of all time. Uh, and it's yeah. in one of the the, the triple, <laughs> the crown jewel <laughs> series. Yeah. Um, but it's so clear when I tried to put it in clear terms like that, because as soon as you do, it makes total sense of why. Oh, yeah, you can really find that in a lot of horror, even yeah. when you didn't expect it. It's probably it's probably in a ton of movies you're not even looking at it for. Exactly. And that was <laughs> the thing, too, especially this time and place where we're saying, oh, horror is allegory and metaphor and speaking to something else when you can't talk about it. Exactly. Bram Stoker, Boom. he didn't he didn't mention Oscar Wilde ever in any writing, even though he was one of his best friends and a super famous person. But if you think about it, it's like his friend of 20 years has gone to prison immediately after he writes a novel, which could be considered mm. about sexual repression and fear. Mm-hmm. It's it is all you could do almost in this time and place if you did want right. to say something about it, which is super interesting as now. Don't you love art? You could just say in. things yeah. and be like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about world, but War it says I. in the yeah. story. It says it, this is exactly what happens. Yeah, but that's the story. Yeah, <laughs> art's beautiful. And when somebody, yeah, makes their own inference, you say, "Yeah, you're right." So are you? <laughs> yeah. And the opposite. Uh, that uh, uh, I think from from that the the thing art as cover yeah. for the LGBTQ yeah. <laughs> plight is is you know yeah it's sharp. It's all over the place. Yeah. So Dracula, then staying with that. Uh, piece of work really does start the horror film situation. There's going to be other ones before that Nosferatu cabinet of Dr. Caligari silent film stuff. But really since I'm doing this episode, I'm going to say (laughs) that's where it marks. This is the description of horror for this genre because silent film it's, Horror was even like battle scenes or uh, nightmare alley, drug addiction, whatever right. stuff. It's uh, it's not what we think of as horror. And even Dracula in some places was marketed more as a mystery film, which was a known thing, mm, trying to solve yeah. this crime, what's happening. But I feel like that horror label, has it's always been the case. People say, alien, is it sci-fi? Is it horror? Is it not enough of both? Uh, is it, it <laughs> horror always gets added on to things perhaps and then what is the primary genre it's hard sometimes right. uh, i was like scrolling the through yeah. like the just the horror section the other day on on youtube tv and yeah. it struck me of just like man what i consider a halloween type style or halloween time movie mm-hmm. It probably means so many different things to so many people because I was just scrolling through all the different, just wildly different things people consider horror. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got the triple, you know, three series in there. I've got, you know, a, a lot of just the, the big, you know, iconic characters. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking flashy, exorcist. 
But I was looking through there, and in, uh, in in that collection, there 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 are psychological things, and like a Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock movie, or like <laughs> you know, like it just it runs the gambit of just like things I didn't even like consider necessarily. And I'm I'm doing a bad job of having uh, titles off the top of my head, but I'm just like it's not just slasher movies or Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. What people consider horror, it very easily blends in and out of all sorts of different genres. And that's where it's so frustrating almost as a horror fan to be like, to be almost thinking that that's what horror is. When honestly, ho- horror could be winning best picture, but they're calling it a thriller. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Or yeah, it's like is 51% of the scenes, do you experience dread or terror? Right, right. Then, then it's horror. I don't know. It's <laughs> How like, do you measure I watched, that? You know? I watched a Minority Report recently which is mm. uh, that's a straight up thriller, but you're in you're you're biting your nails the whole time because you're right. worried, and it's got this creepy sci fi conceit behind it, and right. there's some jump scary stuff too in my mind. Like I jolt out of my seat when things happen. So an interesting yeah. title that just came to mind. This is kind of random and out of nowhere, but a 2008 film by Clint Eastwood called Changeling. It's about a true story about. Oh, a, I love that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a wonderful movie. Um, it's about a, a mother whose child goes missing. Missing, and the child is returned to her, found and returned, and she is certain that it is not the same child, and she is uh, ad- admitted to an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. The story goes is that this uncovers that there was an actual se- serial killer killing children, and that her child was actually missing, and that the, there mm-hmm. were a lot of children that were missing. And so halfway through the movie, she's getting admitted into an insane asylum, and then a serial killer is found. And so it's at horrifying. what point does it become a horror movie? Because that yeah. has all the makings of one. And I remember feeling that watching it in high school going like, this is marketed like a drama with Angelina Jolie and like yeah. a, of wool cap in the 20s looking like a flat, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, 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 it's a, it's, she gets admitted into an insane asylum and there is a child murderer roaming the street and picking up children. And it's yeah. it's in the movie. It's in just all and it's graphic. It's material yeah, it's, in them. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's an incredible movie. But at what? But nobody's calling it a horror movie. Why? Because they wanted to go for like Academy run. Like yeah, I, it's, <laughs> um, yeah. I there's like, so I much. I think it's a horror movie. <laughs> there's so much to it. I I wanted to just pin one thing that I looked into historically as the horror stuff is coming out because like I I I don't even necessarily think of the old monster movies synonymous with Jason or Freddy or whatever, because those movies from the 30s are more atmospheric, gothic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It isn't the about- The universal monster movies, yeah, the Wolfman, yeah. the Mummy, mm. uh, the Invisible Man. Ooh, go listen to our episode on that. We do an, an, an incredible episode on that. Um, yeah. But uh, I love those cast of characters, and and there's a uh, there's a feel about all of those films that that definitely solidified what I definitely what I think of as horror. And when I go to Universal Studios, I like seeing <laughs> the Wolfman and the Invisible yeah. Man and the Mummy and Frankenstein. Those are that that is really where mm-hmm. horror has solidified for me. So I'm glad that you actually do say that because I don't necessarily think of Michael and Jason and Freddie. But I think when I'm like looking for TV fodder to walk around the house and kind of maybe I'm falling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's to me those there are two distinct things where right. if you showed a 14 year old the Wolfman, they would say, well, this isn't scary. Right, 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 right. This is so not that just tastes have changed, but but um, techniques have as well. So the thing that I looked at oh, was yeah. the jump scare, because yeah. to me, that is, well, where's the if you're writing one, where where is something going to jump out? Where is somebody actually going to go huh, and be scared? 
or have a dread or have a false jump scare. So this happened pretty quickly after the old monster movies. And it Hmm. comes from a B movie that I recommend that I have seen called Cat People from 1942. Have you seen this? No. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it, it, fell out and then fell back in and now is a classic or in some, you know, national registry of whatever of of movies, the premise being that this woman is worried that she has carried on this curse from the people of her homeland in Serbia and is mm. going to become turn into this cat person. Oh my and gosh. So this other woman, Alice, gets wind of it and this is one of the pivotal pieces. It's also was a B movie and so they didn't have the effects or the monster movie stuff. So they rely heavily on dread, you wondering what's happening, and they Uh don't overdo it. They milk it just the right amount. So at the pivotal moment, Alice is being followed, and you know that this woman has the potential to turn into a cat, the person who's following her. You're worried. She's going between street lights to try and stay in the light. She's running. It's the clacking of heels. And then immediately, she's looking left because that's where she's looking the whole time behind her. And a bus pulls up because she's actually at a bus stop and the brakes hiss and it's loud. And this is the first Ooh. jump scare because you're expecting a cat uh. to jump out at her, but it's a bus that hisses and she's able to get on and escape. So it's a false scare as well, but it's perfectly done. It's exactly the technique that probably bad horror movies of 2022 don't even understand how right. to do. You don't even know what you're doing, what you're yeah. trying to do, what you're trying to emulate. And then it's all born out of the necessity of like, well, you don't have the goods. So yeah. you can't just throw it in front of a camera and yell action. Um, so you have to make a meal out of all of the connective tissue leading up to the. <gasps> yeah. And then what you do from there, maybe you pull the rug out from under him. It's just a bus. But the meal, the enjoyment was the two minutes of the lead up, the walking through the Mm -hmm. alley. Don't don't stop there. Keep going. All of the all of that. Making a meal Mm -hmm. out of that is what what mm, what what is actually the goodness of it. It's almost like it's almost like if you ever waited on something until like almost like waiting to receive a present on Christmas. And then as soon as you get it, you're like done with it by January 5th. All the anticipation of receiving it was actually the special part. Uh, yeah, that's the same thing in a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, Cat People is the origin of that trope, and Beautiful. highly recommend as far as analyzing it for the metaphor and symbolism. Women in the forties, mm, this one, mm. you know, fem- yeah. unbridled femininity. Super interesting. It's also uh, funny, like growing up with with you know a lot of horror movies that do have a woman lead. I mean. I, <laughs> I mean, like I grew up with like Laurie Strode and Ripley from Aliens, mm-hmm. like you know, like or like uh you know Sarah Connor. I grew up with these women like kicking Buffy ass. the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. <laughs> like I grew up with these like really strong heroine women, and then like suddenly I got you know like finally got a career and I show up and everybody you know like we've been talking about how women aren't getting roles like that. But I'm just like, this is where the genre is responsible to do this. So if we haven't been doing this, what have we been doing the last 20 years? Because I'm talking about movies that were made 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's pretty interesting to me that like uh, so much of the uh, of what I really loved about cinema through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, it was really it centered around a lot of strong women and, and mm. characters that I don't feel like really even get the respect 
that they deserve now, <laughs> made yeah. by probably a whole brunt of filmmakers who are completely overlooked in what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, it's not like they it was just like, OK, yeah, cast whoever you want. Like, no, <laughs> people had input every step of the way for every one of these projects. So. Uh, I think genre is one of the best places where you get to really see. I mean, it can be contorted and you, there are plenty yeah, of yeah. terrible, terrible horror movies <laughs> that are just preying on all the worst examples. Tropes, of all. Yeah. It, those aren't the ones that go number one. Those aren't the yeah. ones that people are talking about. Those aren't the ones that are moving the medium. Uh, the ones that are really m making gains in the genre are doing something with their women characters yeah. most of the time. Well, um, speaking to, to something with that point on the... The jump scare train and cat people and and the history side of things and i don't know what you could say what this does for women but i was interested that the jump scare stuff didn't catch on it was like well this is this cool moment but it was a semi-forgotten b movie for the time so mm. that is not utilized in horror really until 1960s psycho mm -hmm. where people are screaming and fainting when marion yep. gets slashed and uh I don't know if that necessarily speaks to what you're talking about of opening things up for women, but it is as far as looking at, well, the, here's the genre, here's the tropes, here's subverting them, here's utilizing what it ha what you can do with this. Right. It takes Alfred Hitchcock and 20 years before somebody right. says, well, no, we could do horror this way. Uh, yeah. Well, is, and again, yeah. you know, the medium is in its infancy. This is, we're <laughs> figuring out how a movie works. <laughs> still <Yeah. laughs> still i mean we still are but especially at that time i mean good lord hitchcock is revered because he put it together a little faster than others <laughs> but otherwise this is a, we're dealing with an incredibly new medium yeah um we'll, we'll round out tying back to the cabinet of curiosities with horror on tv and briefly up to the point that we're talking about why this anthology stuff we, had, we we all know twilight zone and oh yeah like hitchcock himself had a series where he right. introduced you know every story basically <laughs> um it was just yeah. exactly what i thought of when uh, del toro walks out towards the cabinet um yeah. you know I, it made me think of like we've had generation generationally we've had these like kind of touchstone horror anthology shows hitchcock had his twilight zone was not far after maybe some overlap i remember in the yeah, 90s yeah. there were some good ones uh, like this more kid trend one the scary stories to tell in the dark on yeah. nickelodeon huge fan of that um because it, you know campfire is pretty uh, it was pretty like basic format of like okay i got a story guys around the campfire and i all have a pretty yeah. strong moral message tales from the crypt the more adult one very right. similar but much more much more <laughs> adult much more graphic and scary, yeah. actually horrifying um yeah but i realized that that lasted uh that lasted a good few decades there. Yeah. And I, I, I seem to lose the trend through the 2000s, but that made me excited to see now something like Del Toro's cabinet yeah. to be back um, because I, I've, I've, I'm now realizing that there's a void of these anthology horror stories. We have some black black mirrors good, but it's it's a, it's pretty focused. It's, it's yeah. technology, you know, like that's yeah, good. Yeah. What is the overarching or what is, you know, where, where is Hitchcock? Good evening. I guess it's Del Toro. That's what it looks like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking and then looked up why this even got started this way or who decided, yeah. well, we should have somebody in a suit in the cabinet of curiosity-esque room <laughs> bringing out what the tale is for this evening. And it ties back to the lack of budget stuff. 
mm. post-World War II. We're not going to do the big monster feature effect every single week. And so how do we subvert that and actually do what we can do, more psychological character-driven stuff? And what has already been done that we can pull from there is well-established radio programs. So there was Lights Out, Inner Sanctum, Suspense, the old mm-hmm. anthology radio shows. They just took yes. and turned them into TV <laughs> episodes. Yep. And then you don't, and because you can't see anything on the radio, they also couldn't really do things that it's mostly dialogue and people in rooms talking and maybe a twist yeah. at the end. So that's why that became, it's a vestige of just copying radio week by week <laughs> for the it. for the TV stuff. The only thing yeah. that did did change as TV progressed was in the 60s, which we talked about with our Batman stuff. Who knew that would come in? Oh. But there became this more campy comedy angle and so you get the Munsters and Adams family as uh, yes, the campy horror TV show stuff. And then we go back a bit to more anthology stuff once that fad ends in the 70s. That's I'm glad you yeah. reminded me of that. The Munsters. Yeah. Uh, and there's a new Adams <laughs> Family thing happening soon. And there just was a new Munsters actually just released oh. in uh, August. Yeah. Rob Zombie did it. So no. um, <laughs> I've heard mixed. I've heard some people really like it. I heard some people didn't like it. Uh, so I, I don't know. But I mean, it's time for Halloween, baby. So yeah. maybe, uh, maybe it's time to break it out. Yeah, it's cool that they're going and doing these horror anthology in the old presentational style. I like they're, it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it. Uh, I think that was immediately showing that there was a void for this. That there was a a lack of a voice, a lack of an artistic voice. You know, uh, so like I, I think immediately when I saw uh, Del Toro, uh, it clicked for me new yeah. cast of artists he's going to be introducing the directors he says their names before everyone you know yeah that it's was their very, story very, yeah it's very classic which i'm really i'm that's part of it that i'm super stoked for is you have somebody like del toro now in control of a huge show that's going to bring in all these different directors all these huge amazing amazing artists uh and that he gets to go about uh to vouch for and go to bat for i wish there were more directors willing to throw their own genre party you know that's what yeah. it feels like to me del toro's off having his little horror creature feature genre party and you know where's fincher with his you know uh yeah. <laughs> true, true crime uh, procedurals just taking <laughs> them all and having a part you know like where yeah. where are i i feel like there's more room for more mentorship if people want these careers and to be these famous you know, trust me because my name's on it this is how you do it yeah yeah <laughs> very well said um man I, 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 this, it's it's perfect, perfect for Halloween. I hope everybody's in the spooky, in the spooky season. I hope everybody has a nice and safe Halloween weekend. Check out all of our episodes. Taylor, what are all of our other episodes? We have so much Halloween content. We have a Halloween episode about the actual holiday. Uh, yeah. Different from our Halloween episode we just did about the, the franchise. Yeah, um, we've also got Candyman. We did. Ooh, that was a good one. Uh, Lovecraft Country. Books of Blood, Haunting of Bly Ooh. Manor, Stephen King twice for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Invisible Man, you said, two yes. HP Lovecrafts we did, Hansel and Gretel we did. We did a ton. There's a lot, <laughs> we got a lot of horror stuff. So if it, you know, uh, I know today was a little bit of a grab bag, but that's kind of a cabinet of curiosities, right? That's kind yeah. of the point. So we <laughs> talked about cabinet, a lot of these. Yeah. Exactly. 
uh, open our cabinet and pull out some of these other episodes. Um, these really interlace more. I mean, and I know a lot of our episodes really overlap with each other, but this one in particular. Uh, and if you're in the ho- in the holiday spirit, um, go check out some of these episodes because it's a ton of fun. But until next week, thank you guys so much. Uh, yeah. Please enjoy your Halloween weekend, and we will see you right back here with all of the good stuff next Friday. Catch you then. Thank you.